You are listening to a Fredericksburg Christian Fellowship audio presentation. Open your Bible to Proverbs 16. The new year is o- the old year is over, the new year is upon us. And we want to talk a little bit about today about goals and objectives and planning and what does this look like biblically for 2012. And I'm really excited about 2012, uh, really seeing some things that the Lord's going to do um, that we hope to share with you today and being able to see just having one of those feelings. And the last time I had this feeling was uh, December 31st of 2007. I was laying on the Proach's couch because I was living at Nanny Rose's house. I was laying at the Proach's couch and I was ringing in the new year with the Proach's and uh, Liza Proach was sleeping right there and the whole family was among us. And I think everybody went to sleep except for maybe Tom, Janet, myself and Beecher. And we're all ringing in the new year and I just said, uh, man, you know, I just really feel like the Lord's going to do something big. This was December 31st, 2006, January 1st, 2007. Really said, you know, I really feel like the Lord's going to do something really big this year. And I don't know what it is, but it's going to be something big. Sure enough, uh, had a lot of things big happen in 2007. Took out my ACL, had to have surgery, uh, quit my work at Homestead, went on a long mission trip to Haiti twice, met Lucy, got engaged to Lucy, courted Lucy, and married in 2008. So the Lord uh, had one of those big years, and I think he might do that again in 2012. And I don't know what that looks like, because I'm already married. But uh, something big is going to happen. Uh, but January 1st is oftentimes a day that uh, not great, not just great anticipation of what's coming. There's many in America that, well, this will be a day of tragic failure. Tragic failure happens a lot on d- d- January 1st because they wake up and go, I'm going to do this, this, this. And they pull out their long list of New Year's resolutions and they look back in three or four months and that was just the day that it all went downhill. And we don't want to have a day of failure, a tragic day of failure when we look back on January 1st. We want to be able to say that was the day when we stepped out on a right foot and we've been able to see progress and growth from then. So before we get too far, let's pray and ask the Lord's blessing upon the service and we'll begin. Lord, I would ask that you would speak through me and ask that you would use the words of truth, words of scripture to speak deep into our hearts this morning. Give us things we can tangibly take with us throughout this week and throughout this year that we could apply to our lives. We thank you, Lord, for this morning, for the grace given to us to be here. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. If you look up the word resolution in the dictionary, it says something of this. Firm determination, a course of action determined or decided upon. So when you make a New Year's resolution, you make a firm determination. This is where I want to go. This is where I want to be. And you set out on that course. What's the problem with that? The problem is, is you're just blindly stepping out with no planning, no thought process of how am I going to get there? And is this even manageable? One of the ones that most people say is this year I'm going to lose weight. Great. How much are you going to lose? When are you going to lose it? We'll go into more detail about that later. But let's first look at scripture. Let's go to Proverbs. Starting Proverbs 14. We'll read Proverbs 16 in a minute, but I want to start in Proverbs 14. And let's see what scripture has to say about this thought of planning for the new year. Because it's not just something, we should be evaluating 2011, planning for 2012, but it's a biblical line of thinking. Proverbs 14, we're going to hit five verses in Proverbs here quickly. Proverbs 14, beginning in verse 15. 
The simple believes everything, but the prudent or the wise gives thought to his steps. So the wise man, a prudent man, is thinking, he's planning, he's realizing where his steps are going, and he's making any changes as necessary. Flip over one chapter. Proverbs 15, verse 22. Without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. So a wise man's not only making plans, he's getting wise help. Proverbs 16, verse 3. Commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. Proverbs 24. Proverbs 24, verse 27. Prepare your work outside, get everything ready for yourself in the field, and after that, build your house. So the concept of you're not going to just build a house by just willy-nilly putting some things together. There's going to be some planning involved before you begin the process. And then Proverbs 31. One of the characteristics of a virtuous wife, virtuous woman, Proverbs 31, 15, and 16, she rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. Verse 16, she considers a field and buys it with the fruit of her hands. She plants a vineyard. So we have the concept there, definitely just in Proverbs alone, that planning is biblical. You want to plan for what's coming and it's wise to do so. Now let's get a little context. Go back to Proverbs 16. We're going to read the first nine verses in Proverbs 16. Because we're going to certainly plan and we're going to put some things in action. But we have to do that with the understanding that just because we plan well does not mean that's what's going to come about. The results are in the Lord's hands. Proverbs 16, 1 through 9. The plans of the heart belong to man, but the Lord. And, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured, he will not go unpunished. By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. And by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. So you want to plan, but we're going to plan, then commit to the Lord. And after we've committed to the Lord, we'll then trust his promise that he's going to guide and direct our steps as necessary. Now, one of the reasons we plan is not just because it's biblical, because we serve a God who plans as well. Let's go to Isaiah 46. We have a God who's planned all things after the counsel of his will. Go through three passages here in Scripture about the God who plans. Isaiah 46, 9 and 10. Start in verse 8 of Isaiah 46, 8. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done. Saying my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. Or I will accomplish all my plans. Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1. 
Ephesians 1, 9 and 10. Making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose or to his plans which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Last passage, Acts verse 2. Acts 2 verse 23. Excuse me. Acts 2. Acts 2.23. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. This plan of God, that that is what would happen. We serve a God who plans. John Piper says, he planned for our joy. We ought to plan for his glory. So what does that planning look like? Now, let's go to Luke 2. If we're going to plan this year, what might be a biblical model, a biblical framework to build on? Luke 2.52, I think, would be the passage that I would go to if you want to know a starting place. You can certainly go from there, but a starting place would be Luke 2.52. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. So the wisdom would be mental, increasing in mental capacities. Stature would be physical. Favor with God would be spiritual. And favor with man would be social. Four different areas of our lives. And we could certainly plan for many things outside of that. Financial could probably fall into some of the mental in there. Um, all kinds of different things could come underneath that. But I think you would start with those four and then begin to branch out. So mental, spiritual, social, and physical. Mental, spiritual, physical, and social. Now, if we're going to have some goals in those areas, we're going to have to have some objectives. Now, let me first say, how about this goal? We mentioned that one in the beginning. We're going to lose weight this year. Well, once you have a goal, whatever that goal would be, you've got to ask yourself this question. Is it a SMART goal? Is it a SMART goal? And SMART is an acronym. S is specific. Is it a specific goal? A specific goal has a much greater chance of being accomplished than a general goal. It's one that's not just, I want to lose weight. It's, I want to lose 250 pounds this year, or whatever your number would be. I want to lose 20 pounds, or I want to lose 2 pounds, whatever your number would be. It's a specific goal, and you can pinpoint it. Is it a measurable goal? M, S-M, measurable, having the ability to track your process. So, if you're going to lose 20 pounds over the year, how many pounds per week do you need to lose? How many pounds per day? How many pounds per month? Is it measurable? Can you measure it out? If you're going to read through the Bible in a year, that would be a spiritual goal. How many chapters a day do you have to read to be able to get through the whole thing? Is it measurable? SMA. A is attainable. Are your goals attainable? Now, this is where I start to set my goals a little, a little on the crazy side. I'm more of a big picture person, visionary type guy. So my goals are going to be huge. And you should have some really big, hairy, nasty, gigantic goals. But you should also have some very small ones that are attainable. Last year, I wanted to be able to run a marathon. But also one of my goals was to run a 5K, a 10K, and a half marathon in certain periods of time to be able to make my big goal of run a marathon. I got injured, couldn't do it. But you've got to have some things that are measurable. You've got to have some things that are attainable. Because if you have big giant goals and you can never get them, 
you can get discouraged and you just kind of fall off. I want to read through the Bible. This would be a big one. I want to read through the Bible four times in a year. That's the entire Bible in 90 days. It's about 12 or 13 chapters a day. And people do it all the time. But if that's what I did, I would fall off about two months in, and then I'd get discouraged, and my Bible reading for the year would just not go well. So you've got to have small ones, and there's also big ones that need to be attainable as well. S-M-A-R, realistic. Is your goal realistic? And you're probably going to know if it's realistic if you truly believe that it can be accomplished. Again, you need to have something that's pretty big. But are most of them realistic? And that might be good to ask somebody that you're accountable with. Hey, here's a goal in my life. Do you think this is realistic for me, that I could do this? I want to run a, a two-hour two and 20-minute marathon. That would be Olympic standards. Well, you've never even run a 20-minute 5K. I don't think that's going to be attainable for you or realistic for you. S-M-A-R-T. Is it a timely goal or a timeable goal? A goal should be grounded within a time frame. With no time frame tied to it, there's no sense of urgency. So if you're failing to plan, you're probably planning to fail. And because you've got no timetable on it, it just kind of goes. I want to lose some weight. Well, when do you want to lose weight by? I want to read through the Bible. When do you want to read it through by? I want to memorize some scripture. How much scripture? And when do you want to have it finished? And what passages of scripture are you going to read? So forth and so on. But if you, once you've got your goal, and it's a SMART goal, S-M-A-R-T, then you're going to have to have a, an objective to accomplish that goal. Now, if you're a football player, and you're on a professional football team, and it's third and inches, you don't throw the Hail Mary pass. All you need is about four inches, and you get your first down. And if you've got uh, three yards, you've got a three-yard play. And you've got nine yards you need, you have a nine-yard play. You've got all these giant playbook. I remember reading one uh, article about the Indianapolis Colts. And the best player, best wide receiver that year was from Ohio State, and he was stepping into Peyton Manning's offense. And the most plays he had in Ohio State was about 200 plays he had to remember as soon as he stepped up to the line, 200 plays in his head. He stepped into the Indianapolis Colts, and he would have 400 plays with about five audibles per, per play. So he steps up to the line, and he's got to remember 400 plays and then five different plays that can come off that one play. So there's a, there's a massive gap there. You've got to remember a whole lot of things, and they've got all these different plays that you've run, and that's what an objective is. You step up to your goal, and you've got to have ways to meet that goal. I want to read through the Bible in a year. Now, an objective to that would be, I'm going to read four chapters a day, and I'm going to read five on Sunday. Or I'm going to read whatever, however you break it out. I'm going to lose 20 pounds, 52 pounds this year. Let's just make it easy. I'm going to lose one pound a week or whatever it would be. Being able to have small objectives. And there could be many objectives in each goal depending upon the size of the goal. But the key to being able to accomplish all these things is going to be that you're going to have to have a lot of self-discipline. You're going to have to deny yourself. But if you're going to challenge yourself for 2012 and really see what you can accomplish, sit down sometime in the next week or two, make yourself some goals. Not just resolutions, this is what I want to do, this is the place I want to be, but make yourself some goals, smart goals, are they specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, and timely? And then make yourself some objectives. Get yourself some accountability when you start to break down in a couple months and be able to attack some different areas of your life. But you're going to need them in at least four areas. Spiritual, physical, social, and mental. And challenge yourself. 2012 could be a really big year. Now, 
what are some visions or things that I would like to see this church accomplish in 2012? And I think my prayer in the last couple of weeks has been two things, and they're, they're closely tied together. One, that this church might get comfortable with the powerful searchlight of the gospel in every region of the heart and mind. Um, I came home yesterday and my wife told me of a testimony of someone that she talked to that day that talked about a trial in their life and they called it a severe mercy. And when we're in a, when the, the searchlight of the gospel is shining brightly upon our hearts and minds into every crack and crevice in our minds and heart, it can feel like a severe mercy because God's just cleansing junk out of every single quarter and that's hard to do. And we oftentimes run away from that. But I would like to see this church get comfortable sitting right in the center of that powerful searchlight. And then closely tied to that would be number two, that we, the people of this church, might become addicted to seeing the transformative work of the gospel in the lives of those around us. Now we're addicted, people are addicted to a lot of different things. You might be addicted to fitness. You might be addicted to your work. You might be addicted to the romance of technology. You might be addicted to the mindless numbing of the world's entertainment. But are we addicted to seeing the gospel change people's lives? to the point that we're willing to do whatever it takes in our family, personally, in our school, in our workplace. Being willing, being confident, being bold enough to share the gospel so that we can see the gospel change people's lives around us. That's all that really matters. Are we addicted to that? And there's a high you can get off of that, really, literally. That there's this, this drive, there's this energy that comes when you see a person's life change from the gospel. And are we addicted to that? There's many things we can be addicted to, but I think that would be the one. Now, there are three ways, there are three things that we're going to be instituting into this church this year, and we've already been doing some of one of those, but three things we're going to be doing in this church this year that I think would help foster those two things of having the gospel be the center of what we're doing. And that should, should always be our prayer, but I really think that's something that is on my heart for this year. Let's go to Psalm 23. Psalm 23. There's three things that, two of these things that most people, everybody in our church I would invite to be a part of. One of these things we'd invite your participation in prayer. But three things that I think would really foster this. One is, and we've done this in First Light for a couple weeks now, but a, a, a church-wide scripture memory program. And we're going to release all 52 verses at the beginning of this year. Uh, and this week we'll give you all 52 verses we're going to memorize through. And I think if that's one, let me go to the second one and then I'll talk about this. The second one would be a, a church-wide Bible reading program. Now, I would hope that you'd have some sort of program that you'd be going through. The one that we're going to go through with the church is put out by the Navigators. It's called the Discipleship Journal Bible Reading Plan. Some of you may have done this. And it's probably the simplest one out there. It's all of maybe three chapters a day. And you go through the entire Bible. You don't double the Psalms and Proverbs. You don't double the New Testament. You go through the entire Bible once in a year. And it's really quite simple in the way they've laid it out. You're not reading any more than maybe three, three and a half chapters a day. Now, why would we do this? Why would we do a church-wide Bible reading program and a church-wide scripture memory program? Psalm 23. Psalm 23, verse three, first three verses. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Now, if you're going to have somebody over to your house and you're going to share a meal together, or if you listen to what's going on around the world and they tell you, if you want to keep your kids uh, inside your family and you don't want them to have drugs and all these other things, then you need to have a meal with them at least twice a week. 
Well, if you wanted to have a meal together with someone, you'd have some real sweet fellowship because you're sharing something together. If every one of these, if every one of the members in of our church, or let's just say everyone in your family, was feeding off the same green pastures in Scripture, you could have some real sweet fellowship. If you walk into church July 4th of 2012 and you'd been reading whatever the reading is for that day and the Lord really spoke to you and you saw someone else over here and you know they were reading the same thing and you spoke to them about, man, wasn't that great this morning when I was reading? Man, we were reading the same thing. July 4th, 2012, this is what the Lord was showing me. That person had something else. And you could have a real unity of body just from feeding off the same pastures. Now, there's times when you can have your own Bible reading program. I think that's good. But I think I could really see some neat things come out of that in our church this year if we would all feed off the same pastures. Now, that's two things that we're going to do. And we'll release both of those things at the beginning of this week. The other thing that we would ask your prayer is, is we're going to start this year a 52-week program for some of the young men in our church. In 2008, we had a 20 guys come to the barn over there for a three-day program called Infire. And we just had these guys in. They were all, uh, anywhere from 16 to mid-20s. And we just challenged them in their faith. We challenged them to, to be men of the Word. We challenged them to be faithful men. We challenged them to be accountable. We challenged them to be uh, morally pure. We, just, we went through a lot of different things. And it was a very, a very profitable time. We're still reaping fruit from that. In 2006, uh, we had a vision at that time to start a, uh, actually a live-in discipleship program. Bill Bushhouse was part of the leadership of that. Daddy was part of the leadership of that. And we created this live-in discipleship program. And I busted it all up because I got married. And I was supposed to be the little house leader of this thing. And so that kind of went to the wayside. But I really think that this is kind of a culmination of a lot of what's happening. I'm going to challenge you and encourage you to pray. Because I see some things happening, we see some things happening in the Church of America, in America at large, that I think could be radically changed through one year of about seven or eight guys. Now I'm going to ask these guys to stand up because I want you to see who these men are. I want you to be praying for them. I want you to see them as future leadership, maybe not in just this church, but in the Church of America at large. And then I'm going to share with you what we're going to do. So I'm going to call these, if you're here, I'd ask you guys to stand up. Preston Cohn, John Dana, Max Clark, Justin Horsman, Mark Welch, Chance Winberry, Tony Pradia, and Christopher Welch. These are eight or nine guys that will be challenging themselves this year, and I encourage you to keep them accountable, ask them how they're doing, I'll share with you what they're going to go through, challenge them in their faith, see that see them as men that you can go to and uh, ask how, they, how you can pray for them. See them as men that you can go to and ask questions about. What are you learning? What's going on with this? Um, what do you see? How do you see this benefit our church? But it, more than anything else, pray for them. Thank you, guys. Y'all can be seated. End fire will consist of this. I feel like the biblical model to change America and to change the church of America is going to come from Christ's model, which is discipleship. If you discipled one person every year of your life for the next 40 years, you discipled 40 people. So you walk with them for 52 weeks of the year. You meet with them maybe once a week. You call them on the phone. You pray with them. 
you challenge them, and you give them a biblical vision of discipleship. Because we're all called, whether we like it or not, to be disciple makers. We're not only disciples of Christ, we're called to be disciple makers. If you would do that, if 20 guys do that, if 20 guys would disciple this, now obviously we have eight or nine guys, but if, let me just give you the numbers if you want to break it out. If you had 20 guys in the year of 2013, you'd have 20 disciples. So each 20 of those disciples would grab one other person, and he keeps going. By the year 2025, you have 163,820 people that have been impacted for the life, by the life of Christ, being discipled. By the year 2028, you have 1,310,700 people. There's only 1.3 million people in all of San Antonio. By the year 2022, I'm sorry, by the, the 22nd year, 2034, you have 83,886,060 people. There were only 130 million people voted, that voted in the 2008 presidential election. You surpassed that mark in the year 2023. And in the 23rd year, 2035, excuse me. There are only 330 million people in all of America. 24th year, you surpassed that, 335 million people plus. There is 1.3 billion people in, the pop, in, in China. We surpassed that in the 26th year, 2038. And there's only 7 billion people in all the world today. And about three years later, two years later, the 2040, you hit like 12 billion people. Is it possible? I think it's very possible. Is it, is it a requirement? Yeah. You require that those 20 guys remain faithful. So we're going to challenge these seven or eight guys to remain faithful. Now, not only are they being trained in what it means to be a disciple maker, they're also trained in what it means to be a church leader. Because we have a dearth of leadership in the Church of America abroad. And we're very blessed by strong leadership in FCF. So FCF's leadership is going to come together and train these guys. What does it mean to be an elder? What does it mean to be a deacon? What does it mean to be a shepherd? What, it mean, what does it mean to be a pastor? How do you walk into a church and not just see bodies, but souls that need to be fed, that need to be shepherded? So they're going to go through uh, 52 weeks of training. It's going to be not super challenging in material It'll be challenging because they're going to have to switch their lifestyle from just kind of moving in a good direction but really moving in a focused discipleship maker direction they'll read 17 books they'll have a 12 session doctrinal course they'll have webinars they'll be in elders and deacons meetings they'll be writing papers they'll be creating discipleship plans they'll be leading in first light whether by preaching or by leading music or giving testimony They'll be leading corporate prayer. They'll be assisting with the offering and ministering of the Lord's Supper. They'll be practicing hospitality. They'll be memorizing the entire book of Titus, which is one verse a week. They'll be reading through the Bible right along with you. They'll be listening to theolog theological sessions. They'll be listening to church history sessions. They're going to be challenged in their faith. But I feel like if these guys will step up to the plate, that'll be one aspect of FCF that could change the entire culture of America in 20 years. And I know right now, in 20 years, if we keep going, it's not going to be in a good place. But if nine guys would challenge themselves, and if you would challenge them, and if you would jump on more with them and begin to disciple other people, and you don't have to go through this program to be a disciple maker. Pick up the Bible. That's all you need. 
But challenge yourself to be a disciple maker this year. I think we could change the world at large and at least America, if not all of San Antonio, in just a few years. It would not be that difficult. But you have to remain faithful. One person one, for one, per year for the rest of your life. Now, scripture, scripture memory, Bible reading, and praying for end fire. If we would do that, and then if you guys would take your own families and lives, create smart goals and good objectives, I think you could see how 2012 would be a really special year for not only this church, but for the gospel. To see lives changed in a transformative way would be a great vision to have. So let's pray. Let's pray and ask God that he would guide and direct this year. And then let's pray and ask the Lord that he might do whatever it takes to keep us from stepping out of the powerful searchlight of the gospel upon our hearts and minds that we might truly be able to see big, mighty things happen in 2012. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful to you for this year, the year of 2011 and now the year of 2012. And Lord, many people today will seek to make a change, to make a resolution, a firm determination, to move in a different direction of their life whether it would be physical or spiritual, whether it be emotional, financial, family matters, work matters, educational matters. But Lord, we want to be able to step out with, as Mr. Hamlin spoke of in the first service, a purpose that has a wise and obtainable plan to it that will allow us to see measurable things happen for the cause of Christ this year. So I ask and pray, Lord, that we would not allow many more days to pass before we take good stock of where we were and where we've come from in 2011 and then apply those things to 2012. Lord, we would pray and ask that you would use this church to change the course of history starting today, January 1st, 2012. We ask and pray, Lord, that you would allow each and in every individual life here to understand and accept the calling of what it means to be a disciple maker. We're to go into all the world and preach the gospel, making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Lord, you've given us the authority to do that because of the work of the Holy Spirit within us. We ask and pray, Lord, that you would allow 2012 to be a year where we see a growth in unity among ourselves, that as we would seek to faithfully, by your grace, feed on Scripture, sink it deep into our hearts and minds, that we would allow that you would then allow, Lord, us to walk in closer unity together, link arm in arm in a stronger bond, a stronger embrace in this battle, in this warfare that we fight every single day for the cause of Christ, knowing that we serve the victorious captain, knowing that we serve on the winning side and yet we battle. And But by your grace, we will we will finish well. And so we ask, Lord, that you would allow us to be faithful, faithful to the cause of Christ, faithful to deny ourselves, faithful to take up our cross daily and serve you, 
faithful to humble ourselves and do whatever necessary to root out those things in our lives that would prohibit you from doing a full and glorious work within us. Not by our power, not by anything that we can bring to the table, but by your power and your might. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you that you have given us life. And we ask now, Lord, that you would grant us grace for the remainder of our service. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. You have been listening to a Fredericksburg Christian Fellowship audio presentation.